Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Hey guys, I'm Mel Massingale, and I'm the lead pastor of Summit Church in Indiana, PA. Uh, if you're watching this, it's probably because you're part of our church and maybe you're away uh, from the summit this weekend or maybe you're someone who watches online but you don't live in the area. But thank you uh, for being here and worshiping with us uh, no matter where you are or how you're joining us today. I pray that God blesses you. Um, we're doing things a little different. There's no live stream because we're doing at the movies on site at Summit Church. Uh, so we're not able to stream those clips but we still want to be able to make sure you're ministered to. So we're currently showing, um, during the month of July, we're showing uh, the greatest hits or uh, best of series, if you want to call it that. And it's some of our sermons that have been the most, uh, most viewed of any of our messages online. And so we're looking at a series uh, today that we talk about Nehemiah. And this comes from uh, November of 2015. And we're exploring Nehemiah chapter 2 today. But Nehemiah had a big dream. Um, it seemed unattainable for someone in his position, but God put the pieces in place, and as Nehemiah was faithful, God did an incredible work. So I want to encourage you, no matter where you are or what you're going through today, uh, lean into this message and hear what God has to say to you as we explore Nehemiah. Last weekend, we started a new series on the book of Nehemiah, and coincidentally enough, it has to do with the, the human being, Nehemiah, the character from the Bible. And this was a guy who God had positioned at a specific time to have a specific impact on a specific city. And we feel like there are many, um, there are many parallels between Nehemiah's story and our story, what God is doing here in the summit. And so I just felt like it was so appropriate for us to look at his story and, and walk that out, and let's just talk about it a little bit. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to continue on the story of Nehemiah. We saw last week, uh, Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. Um, he was the guy, he was the guinea pig who had to test the, the king's food, King Artaxerxes was the Persian king, and so he had to test his food so that if anybody died, it would be the cupbearer and not the king. And so he was the human guinea pig, and so it gave him access to the king. And so one day he heard this story. He said, hey, how is everything going in Jerusalem? Because the nation of Israel was scattered across the known world, and Jerusalem had been abandoned in many ways. The walls had been torn down. The, the gates had been burned. And so he was inquiring about his hometown, wanted to hear what was going on. It's just like if you had moved away and you saw somebody from Indiana come through and you say, hey, what's going on in Indiana? You'd want to hear the gossip. You'd want to hear the news. And the news he heard was not too encouraging. It was disappointing because the person told him that the people are in turmoil, that the city has been the walls have been broken down. The, the gates have been burned. And he said, it's just, it's in a bad state. And we saw last week that Nehemiah broke down and sobbed and he cried and he called out to God and he began to fast and, and pray for the welfare of that city. Because it wasn't just about the, the physical walls being broken down, but what that really meant in many ways was that that city and the people had no standing because they couldn't even defend themselves. They were powerless against the enemies that surrounded them. So their enemies could do whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted, to the, to the people in Jerusalem. And so in many ways, the people in Jerusalem were demoralized. They were afraid. They thought maybe God had forgotten about them. And so Nehemiah prayed this incredible prayer. He repented of his sin. If you missed last week, you can go back and listen to the message. Uh, you can watch it online at our website. You can listen to it uh, via iTunes. Uh, but, but he prayed this incredible prayer. And we won't rehash that tonight. But then he, he, at the end of the prayer... He basically says, 
God, give me favor with the man I'm about to talk to. And he's talking about the king. So he's saying, give me favor with the king. And it was not his place. It wasn't like they were contemporaries or peers or friends. This was not Nehemiah's place to ask the king for a favor. It would never normally come up. Okay, it wouldn't be like they would be talking at the water cooler. Hey, what's going on, Nehemiah? Man, did you hear about Jerusalem? Can I get a favor from you, king? Like, it didn't work like that. And so Nehemiah prayed, God, when, you give, when the opportunity arises, give me favor with the king. And so, sure enough, the opportunity arose. In Nehemiah chapter 2, um, Nehemiah goes into the king, and the king says, what is, what is, is something wrong? Something seems to be wrong. What's going on? And so Nehemiah tells him what he had heard, that his city had been destroyed, that the, the walls had been broken down, the gates had been burned. He describes the situation to the king. And this is what it says in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 4. It says, Then the king said to me, What are you requiring? Or, I'm sorry, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. So he has this opportunity. He tells the king the story. And the king says, What are you requesting? What are you, what are you asking? What do you need? What an incredible golden opportunity this is, right? I mean, this is like... You go to the big game. You, you, you go to the Steelers game. Somebody gives you some tickets. You go to the game, and you sit down. And when you get there, you think, man, th this old guy sitting next to me looks familiar. I, I think I know him from somewhere. And you strike up a conversation. You find out it's Warren Buffett sitting next to you at the Steelers game, which probably wouldn't happen. I think he probably is a Kansas City Chiefs fan. So we won't hold that against him. Second richest man in the United States, okay? Sitting next to you. You strike up a conversation, you talk, you get to know each other. He's a good enough guy. At the end of the game, he says, hey, you know what? You've made quite an impression on me. What can I do for you and your family? Like, really? Okay, here we go, right? Like, I've got my imaginary wish list. What would I do? What would I ask for? All these things. And here, King Artaxerxes, the most powerful king in the world, is asking Nehemiah, what do you need? What are you asking for? What are you requesting? This is Nehemiah's chance, his opportunity. Some people would say his chance to grab the brass ring, right? And it says at the end of that verse, so I prayed to the God of heaven. He, he didn't automatically go to his wish list and go, you know what? Um, I really need a raise because I'm laying my life on the line every day for you, and I'm not making much money, King, so could you help a brother out? And, you know, if I could get a better house, that would be great too, and I, if you could do this, if you could do that. He doesn't do that, does he? He said, internally, he does this moment where he goes, I gotta pray about this. Like, God, give me wisdom. God, give me your voice. Lord, help me speak the things you want me to say. He said, so I prayed to the God of heaven, right? Um, I, I would like to think that I would respond the same way, but I don't know that I would. I, I can be selfish sometimes. I know you guys are never selfish, but I can be selfish sometimes. So it would have been easy for me to go, yeah, here's what you need to do for me. And I've got some, some enemies you need to take care of too. If you could do that, that'd be great. But he didn't. He said, let me, give me one second. Let me pray about this. So he, he says this quick prayer. And then in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 5, it says this. And again, Nehemiah is narrating the story. And he says, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, then that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. That's a big ask, right? <laughs> it would have been big enough if he had said, can I get a raise? But he didn't. He had a big ask. He said, I, I want to go rebuild a city that's been destroyed. 
Basically, what he's saying is, I want to restore its glory. I want to allow, I want to allow the Jews to return to their city. And in a lot of ways, it would confront Artaxerxes and his authority to do that. And so that's what he's asking. That's the request he's made. Hey, let me go back and rebuild this city. Now, I don't know about you, but there are times in my life when I have um, asked God for things and they haven't come around. Has anybody ever prayed a prayer and for some reason it wasn't answered? Wow, you people are full of faith. Okay, okay, some of you. I thought, wow, you need to pastor this church because you got way more faith than I do apparently. Um, but I, I, I've prayed prayers and I've sought God and I've fasted and I've believed and then sometimes my prayer isn't answered. And I will tell you, that there are times in our lives that prayers aren't answered, no matter how sincere the prayer is, no matter how real it is, no matter how big the need is, sometimes the prayers aren't answered. And it's like our Heavenly Father is saying, what is it that you request? And we let him know, God, here, here's what I need. Here's what's going on in my life. And I think sometimes in our lives, our, answer, our prayers aren't answered the way we would like because of the way we are praying. In James chapter 4, um, God is speaking through James uh, to the church, and it says in James 4, 2, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. See, the first part of that says you ask or you do not have because you do not ask. See, sometimes we don't ask God for the right things, right? Because just like me with Warren Buffett, it had been like, hey, Warren Buffett, can you uh, give me some stock tips? Why would I be wanting stock tips? So that I could make some money, right? Well, so, hey, Warren Buffett, can you give me this? Or can you give me that? Whatever it might be, but it would be for me. And so what God is saying is, you do not have because you do not ask. You don't have the things you really need in your life because you're not really asking for those things. Because we're asking for the things we want a lot of times, right? God, give me a raise. Give me the house I want. Give me a better car. Help my wife to act right. Just straighten her out. I don't have any problems. If you straighten out my spouse, right? We pray those kind of prayers. Fix my boss. Do this. But God says, no, no, no. You're asking for the wrong things. You, you do not have because you're asking for the wrong things. And then he goes on to say, you ask and do not receive because if you received it, you're just going to spend it on your flesh, on yourself. It's selfish passions. <laughs> I had somebody ask me one time. They said, Mel, if I won the Powerball. Is that wrong for me to play the lottery? And I said, morally, I don't think it's like God's favorite thing for you probably. But I mean, I guess if that's what you want to do, that's between you and God. You know, you shouldn't be spending your college, your child's college savings on lotto tickets. I think it's a bad investment. So, you know, I would not encourage you to do that. And they said, well, what if I won the Powerball and um, I had my tithe check in one hand or I had my, my membership in the other hand, which one would you take away from me? And I said, I would take your tithe check from you. And they said, oh, so it's okay to play the Powerball. And I go, no, no, it's not okay to power, play the Powerball. You wouldn't win the Powerball because you wouldn't tithe off the Powerball. <laughs> like it wouldn't happen, right? Like a lot of times we pray, God, help me hit the lotto. If you'll just do this, God, then my life will be set and I'll follow you and I'll tithe off it. And God goes, no, because if you won the lotto, if you hit the Powerball, you'd never go to church again. I'd never hear from you ever again because you pray to me now because you feel like you're in need. Does that make sense? <laughs> if you hit the Powerball, I'm never gonna hear from you ever again until you 
blow your Powerball money. And then, you'll, then I'll hear from me again. The phone rings, hello? Hey, God, it's me. Oh, it must be out of the Powerball money, right? And you think this is unbiblical. It's not. Have you heard of a guy named Paul when he said, I prayed to the Lord three times to remove this, this thorn in my flesh, but he refused to? And he said, my power is made perfect in your weakness. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, Paul, I'm going to allow you to stay humble so you have to continue to depend on me. And there are times that we ask God and God doesn't respond the way we want to. And we think he's a bad God. and He's not a bad God. We're asking for the wrong things. Or, or maybe... We're asking for something that we know or God knows is going to draw us away from him. It's going to pull our affection from the Lord. God, help me afford that boat. And God goes, no. no. Every Sunday that the weather's decent, you're going to be gone. You're never coming to church again if I give you the boat. So you ain't getting the boat, right? Well, I can watch online. You don't have Wi-Fi on the boat, right? So God is never going to bless you in such a way that it pulls your affection from God. So Nehemiah, when he, he makes this request, I think God gave Artaxerxes his heart and his mind. He could see the motivation because God sees our motivation. He just doesn't see our words. See, you can fool me, but you can't fool God. And I can trick you, but I can't trick God. God sees our hearts. He sees our motivation. He knows what makes us pray the way we pray and ask for the things we ask for. So he just gets to it. I think Artaxerxes sees his motivation is not just to, hey, I want to be a regent over this area, or man, I could, I could be an authority over this area. So he, he hears Nehemiah's plea, and then he responds this way in Nehemiah 2.6. He says, and the king said to me, and parenthetically, the queen sitting beside him, so the king and queen were sitting together, and the king says, how long will you be gone, and when will you return? I love that question. How long is this going to take you to do what you need to do? I'm going to give you the time you need to go do it, but I expect you to come back and serve in the place you're at. So it pleased the king to send me when I'd given him a time. So Nehemiah responded and said, I think I can do it in this amount of time. So the conversation continued, though, in Nehemiah 2.7. It says, and I said to the king, it wasn't enough that he says, hey, king, how about if you let me go rebuild this city? He, he, gets, he gets even bolder. And he said, uh, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make the beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. Now, again, this was not because Nehemiah was so talented or gifted or um, he was just such a good communicator that the king was moved by his words. It was the favor of God entirely that moved the king to say, yes, I, I think this is a good idea. And not only am I going to let you build a city, I'm going to give you the resources to do it. That's pretty incredible. That's a good God, isn't it? Like God said, hey, Nehemiah, you don't have the resources to do what I'm going to ask you to do, but I'm going to provide you the resources to get it taken care of. You, you don't have access to the timber, but I do, so I'm going to make sure you get what you need so you can do what you can, what need to do. And sometimes we look at what God is calling us to do, and we go, God, I, I'm just a cupbearer. I can't do that. Or we go, God, I'm just a carpenter. Or God, I'm just a laborer. Man, God, I'm blue collar. God, I don't even have a job. How can you use me? And God is not concerned with what you have in your hand. He's concerned with what he can put through you to use you in a better way. 
God looked at Nehemiah and he saw he was just a cupbearer. That didn't bother God. God wasn't offended by that. He said, I'm going to use this cupbearer to rebuild the city. I'm going to send the resources through him to make sure he can do what I'm asking him to do. And some of you are sitting here saying, I can never do what God's asking me to do. But you are putting limitations on our God. God is limitless. He's bigger than the limitations you try to put on him. Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 9 goes on to say, Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters and the king, that the, now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. So he had sent an entourage with him. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, and just by the way, if ladies, if you're pregnant and you're thinking about names, Sanballat uh, and Tobiah are both very wonderful names. I think those would be great. Um, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Now, I, I want to stop there. I interrupted with a bad joke, but think about that for a second. Nehemiah was attempting to rebuild the city, to bring honor to God, to do something great, to, to, to reinvigorate a people, to do something incredible in this city, and he encountered opposition. He encountered people that thought it was a bad idea. He encountered people who said, no, 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 you should not do that. What does it actually say? It says it displeased, them, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. It displeased them that someone sought the welfare of the people of Israel. Now tuck that away. We'll come back to that in a minute. Then I said to them, Oh, let me, let me skip. I skipped a few verses from 10. We're skipping down to verse 17. Nehemiah gets to the city of Jerusalem, and he goes on this expedition. He and his crew, they go all around Jerusalem. They, they take a tour of the city. They go by the gates. They inspect the walls. They're looking the city over. And the city officials that are there at the time, the people, the residents that are there, are wondering, what in the world is this guy doing? What is happening? Because he didn't tell anybody what he was going to do. He just took off and started looking around. And, and it if you walked outside your house and there was some guy that was taking measurements and looking and inspecting, you'd be, hey, what are you doing? What, why are you doing this? Do I, need to, do I need to call my pastor? He's got a gun, right? You'd be, you'd be a little bit curious, at least, right? What is happening here? And this is what happened. Nehemiah is looking all through the city. He's taking measurements. He's, he's looking around. And people are asking him questions. So Nehemiah 2.17, it says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we're in. And I love how he doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't say, You know what? Things aren't as great as they should be. But we're going to turn this place around. Vote for me. Right? Like, that's not the way it works. He just said, You see the trouble we are in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. Because they were the laughing stock. They were the laughing stock of the region. And he said, we don't want to be that way. That's a bad reflection on us. It's a bad reflection on our God. And verse 18 says, And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words of the, that the king had spoken to me. And listen to this. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. These people who had sat stagnant for years said, let us rise up. I'm excited about what God's about to do. Let me be a part. I'm going to strengthen my hands. And what this is kind of like saying is, um, it's like the office worker who says, man, my, baby, my hands are baby soft. I've never done much with them. They go, but hey, let's put on some work gloves. Let's strengthen our hands. Let's go out and do the work. Let's rebuild this wall. Let's build this gate. Let's bring life back to the city. 
and Nehemiah mobilized the people. They were excited to be a part of what God was doing in their city. Listen to this. Our good friend Sanballat in verse 19 says, But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite, servant of Geshem the Arab, or, uh, servant and Geshem um, the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, and listen to this reply. He says, the God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. See, Sanballat, um, he wanted to keep the Jewish people weak and dependent. He, he, it was his agenda to keep the walls broken down and keep the gates destroyed because a strong Jerusalem would upset the balance of power in that area. It would rob Sanballat of authority. It would rob, rob him of influence. It would probably rob him of income. And he did not want that to happen. He had an agenda that said, if, if the city gets better, it makes my life worse. And I hate to say it quite like this, but I will. There are people in your life that when you say, I'm making a decision for Jesus, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make this life better. I'm gonna see Jesus work in my life like never before. I'm gonna make a difference. I'm gonna make a turn. I'm, I'm walking away from my old life. You would think people would celebrate that, right? But there will be people in your life that will mock you, will jeer at you. They'll try to discourage you. They're gonna be, uh, they're gonna be a, a force against you because they have a stake and claim in your life. If you are defenseless, if you are dependent, it makes their life better. So they don't want your life to get better. They don't want Jesus to change you. They don't want your life to be transformed by the power of God. And they're gonna discourage you. And some of these people are gonna be people you think are your best friends and family. And they're gonna dissuade you from being a part of church and dissuade you from spending your life for Christ. And it's easy to listen to those voices. All of us are going to go through troubles and trials, even when we're doing what God has called us to do. Nehemiah, he must have thought when he started doing this thing. He must have thought, the hand of God is upon me. This is going to be easy. No problem. God is for us. Who can be against us? And then Sambalat shows up and goes, who do you think you are? Punk, taking my territory, taking my city away from me, Right? Well, wait a second. Hold on now. That, that doesn't seem fair. If you remember, um, probably a month ago now, I shared with you that, that when I moved to Indiana, when I felt God speaking to us to move here, I felt like God spoke to me and said, it's going to be good, but it won't be easy. And I feel like Nehemiah probably heard those same words from God and said, hey, Nehemiah, this is going to be good. When you get this city rebuilt, it's going to be good. But guess what? It's going to be a trial. There are going to be tough days ahead of you. And anything we do for God, it's going to be good, but it will not be easy. Every one of you, when you attempt to do what God is asking you to do, there, will be, there, there are going to be trials, there are going to be tribulations, there are going to be days that you think you should give up. Charles Spurgeon said this, I love this quote. He said, God had one son without sin, but he never had a son without trial. Even Jesus dealt with opposition. If the Son of God couldn't make 12 people happy. How in the world will you make all the people in your life happy? It's not going to happen. So what you have to do is choose who you're going to please and say, God, I choose to please you. 
I choose to live my life for you. I choose to honor you. No matter what the world says, no matter what opposition comes my way, no matter what voices I hear, I choose to listen to your voice. I choose to do what you're asking me to do. I choose to stand firm. And just like his response, I think we can say the same thing in the face of our detractors. We can say, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we, his servants, will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. I believe we can say the same thing. I'm gonna do what God is calling me to do and you have no right or portion or authority in my life to keep me from doing it because God has called me to do something. And we have to stand firm in that authority and say, no matter who says what, no matter what is going on around me, no matter what mess or drama I'm walking through, I'm walking through it, I'm not in it. Because God's called me to something better. You know, John 10, 10 is one of my favorite verses. It's just, it's Jesus talking. He says, the thief has come to kill, steal, and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. All of us are gonna struggle at times with difficulty. All of us will. It's gonna look different in all of our lives too. And if you're struggling tonight, there's no condemnation because probably most of the room is struggling with something, uh, struggling with opposition in their life to some degree or another. That, that's life. But I'm so thankful that greater is he that is in me than he's that's in the world. That, that I'm the head and not the tail. That I'm more than a conqueror. That is the promises we have in him. That we are walking through opposition, but we're not opposed because God is with us. If you're doing what God has asked you to do, if you're walking the path that God has asked you to walk, there is no opposition that can keep you from that. As long as you stay faithful, as long as you do what God is asking you to do. Now, I know that there are probably people here tonight, um, maybe you're here, and maybe you've tried to serve God before, and you've walked away. You said, man, it's too hard. It's too much. It's too, I, I just can't do it. Maybe you're here and you're a Christian, but you're walking through a difficult time and you are starting to wonder, I don't know if I can make this. I don't know if I can make it through this tough time. And I want you to know you can. I want you to know that our God is faithful. That there is no enemy that's gonna have a, a place of authority in your life because God has called you to something more than just surviving. God's called you to something great. So we have to rest in that. Let's pray. God, I love you. I'm so grateful that you call us, each of us, Lord, to greatness. You call each of us to do the incredible for your glory, Lord. It is not reserved for people who are called to ministry, but God, each of us in this place are called to do the incredible for your name. And so Lord, I pray that each of us would realize that, that each of us would grasp a hold of that, that each of us, Lord, would would rest in your calling on our lives. Lord, I pray right now that you just minister in us. Lord, help us to hear your voice clearly and let us respond to your voice. And with your head bowed and your eyes closed, maybe you're here tonight and you're that person that's been struggling. Maybe you've been struggling for a long time and you're here tonight and you say, Mel, I'm not, I'm not really serving God. I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but I want to. I want to know him. And maybe at one point you did, but you walked away from a relationship with him. And maybe you're here and you never have. Maybe you don't even really understand what's going on, but you just know in your heart something needs to change. I'm not gonna embarrass you or ask you to come forward. I wanna pray with you right where you're at in your seat. But if you're here tonight and you say, Mel, I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life. I wanna repent. 
I wanna turn away from the, the way I've been living. I wanna make him Lord of my life. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up real high so I can see it and pray with you? Thank you. Over here on my right. Who else? Would join this person and say, that's me, pray for me. I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life. I'm tired. I'm trying to do this on my own. I'm trying to fight these battles on my own, the opposition on my own. I need his help. I'd like every one of you in this room, whether you raised your hand or not, to repeat this really simple prayer after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. I give my life to you. It is yours. Use it for your glory. I'm turning away from my old life and I'm chasing after you. Help me live a life that brings glory to you. I choose you. Thank you for choosing me. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now listen, if you raised your hand and said that prayer, um, you're whole. You're forgiven. So if that was you, maybe you raised your hand, maybe you didn't, but you know you should have, but you still said that prayer. There's a prayer card in that seat back in front of you. If you would, take that card. It looks like this one. Take it. The side that says Salvation Rededication. Fill this card out. Let us know about your decision so that we can help you take the next step. And then drop this card in one of our offering boxes before you leave today. Let us know about your decision so we can help you um, not stay in that same place of struggle. If you would do me one more favor, bow your head and close your eyes. If you're here today and you say, Mel, I'm a Christian, but the truth is I'm struggling in an area of my life. I'm facing opposition. Maybe it's opposition from people around you. Maybe it's circumstantial. Maybe, maybe you feel like there's a spiritual attack on me or my family and I need a breakthrough in my life. I need, I need God to help me in my life. I need God to do the miraculous in my life. Would you be bold enough to just slip your hand up and let me pray with you? Yeah, a lot of you, all over the room. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Let me pray with you right now. God, I thank you that you are a big God. You're the God of the miraculous. Lord, you are not scared of, of, of difficult diagnosis from a doctor, Lord. You are not scared of um, difficult situations and finances, Lord. You're not nervous when, um, when couples are on the brink, Father. You are the God of the impossible. So God, I'm asking today that you would fix impossible situations. Lord, work in the areas that we can't work in. Lord, bring healing in situations that we can't affect personally. Do the work. God, we're asking in your name that you would do the miraculous, Lord. You would bring physical healing to people. You'd restore hearts. You'd restore minds. Father, you'd, you'd put the broken pieces of people's lives back together. And God, I pray as you do, you would be glorified in incredible ways. And God, I pray that you would do the work that we can't do. But God, I'm asking that you would help us be faithful to what you are asking us to do. Lord, help us to see clearly what you're asking from us and then let us take those steps faithfully and trust you in whatever it might be. Lord, whatever the calling might be, whatever the, the sacrifice might be, whatever the, the issue is, God, let us respond to you in a way that we, can be, that we can glorify you, that we can honor you. And then God, I pray that you would do the truly miraculous in our lives. God, you saw all the hands that were raised. You see all the situations, you know all the hearts. And God, we're asking tonight, Father, we'd see breakthrough in situations, God, that you would restore marriages. Lord, you would provide new jobs. That Lord, you would 
heal relationships, that Father, you would mend broken hearts in ways that only you can do. So tonight, God, we're declaring victory that the enemy has no dominion in this place. He has no dominion in the homes that are represented here. He has no dominion in the hearts that are represented here, that you are God and you are calling the people of this church to bigger things. And we cannot be turned away by, by, by the enemy and by his taunts. So Lord, we refuse to acknowledge it tonight, that you are God. You're powerful and you're sovereign. So we trust you tonight. We believe that you can work in every situation. So God, have your way in us. God, speak and encourage and bless the people that are here that raise their hand. Let them see you at work. Let them know you're God. Let them trust you to see them through. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your goodness. We trust you tonight. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for worshiping with us today. Thank you for making time in your day to uh, grow in your walk with the Lord and hear what God is trying to speak to you. Uh, maybe you're watching and you're kind of like Nehemiah. Maybe you feel like God has placed a burden in your heart for something, uh, to see change, to see something happen. I just want to encourage you. Nehemiah understood that change doesn't happen without action, that he had to take action. He had to do something. And so if you're watching this today and you want to see a change happen in your life and you feel like God wants to manifest something in your life, it only happens when you trust him and you're faithful in what God's asking you to do. So take a step of faith and begin to trust him in uh, whatever area you need to do that. If you're watching this today and you don't have a church home, I want to encourage you, go find a church home in your area. If you can't find one, let us know. You can email us at info at summitpa.church, and we're going to connect with you and help you find a church in your area that you can be in relationship with and grow in your faith. Because uh, it's not our goal to get people all over the United States and world to be members of Summit Church. It's our goal to grow the body and grow the kingdom of God. And we want you to be involved in life-giving relationships wherever you might be. So let us know and we'll help you find the right place. But again, thank you so much for worshiping with us today. We really do count it as an honor and privilege to have you with us. Pray that you have a wonderful day. Hopefully we'll see you soon.